there's a conceptual discussion about on one hand what an emotion is and you know the, the the saying goes that everyone knows what an emotion is until they're asked to to define it um and the way we we look at emotion is we use what's called bidimensional emotion models which basically tells us that emotion emotion is basically two things on one hand it's arousal whether i am excited or not and on the other hand, it's valence, whether this thing that excites me or not is positive or negative. This is Real Talk, the Customer Insights Show with Jen Mancusi, a top-rated live stream and podcast in the market research and insights industry. We stream live on LinkedIn, Twitter, and YouTube. And you can listen to us on all major podcast channels and watch on dbtv.tv. Join Jen and her guests for a weekly discussion around topics that will help you understand your customers better. Real Talk is presented to you by Vox Popme, the leader in video research for over a decade. Here's today's conversation. Hello, insights professionals, marketers, and everyone who wants to understand their customers better. I'm your host, Jen Mancusi. Um, Audience matters in audiences matter in media, but how do we measure audience engagement correctly and most accurately? Um, this is a really important topic, and I'm excited to discuss it today with our guest, Pedro Almeida, founder and CEO at Mind Prober. Welcome to the show, Pedro. How are you doing? Thank you so much for the invite. Yeah, thanks for coming on um, all the way across the pond. Um, love having you here. Um, I'm going to kick us off by asking you a question that we ask all of our guests, and that's really, what does the word agile mean to you? It's, uh, thanks for that. Well, well, it's, it's hard not to get influenced by, um, by all the other, uh, all the other guests. So I'll, you know, I'll do my best to, uh, be original, you know, the, the standard definition of course, and, you know, agile means, you know, being able to, um, develop really quick, you know, um, get really quick feedback and, you know, setting up a set of attributes and whatever you're trying to develop um, and use those to actually get feedback on, you know, the attributes of originally software or a product and get that feedback, make that into actionable um, type of insights and then iterate and allowing you to actually uh, develop the uh, uh, develop the uh, the product or whatever you're trying to do uh, in a fast way and fail fast and so understand exactly what doesn't work and and sort of do this uh, quickly and uh, well with agility. Uh, it, it is you know for, for us for me the, the concept is uh, is a sort of I we're really involved with it because you know when we when we started out I've been trying to solve the problem of agility and let's say consumer neuroscience for, for many years now, which is, hey, how can I actually uh, turn an area which is traditionally analogic and uh, takes time to do research? It's really, really not agile. How can I build an agile platform? Um, so, so brands, for instance, who are trying to test products are trying to understand uh, how audiences are engaging um, so they can have like really, really quick feedback loops into uh, and allowing them to use these metrics to, to make better to make better products. So, so it is a dear turn to me, uh, I would say. Yeah. And I think like what you've said is, you know, it's, it's important. It's not just about getting the feedback quickly. It's actually iterating and using yeah. it quickly. Um, and I love how you set the, the phrase that you used to fail fast. 
Um, that's one of my all-time favorites. And I just had this conversation with somebody on my team about a marketing experiment we need to run. I said, don't wait for this to be perfect before you launch it. Launch it at 60% and let's fail fast on it. If it's not working, let's make it better, right? Like yeah. waiting for something to be perfect and then putting it out into the world is like, that's the opposite of agile, right? <laughs> Yeah, and it's, you know, most of our assumptions will be wrong because, you know, mm -hmm. there's just so many possibilities and so few right answers um, that, that you need to get, you need to test, you need to test and you need to, to actually put your gut feel into, uh, into the test and, and understand that, hey, I think that this will work. I really have the feel, feeling that this will work, but I actually need data and most probably, and this is why I see well, most probably, most of the times it won't. So, so that will, you know, that will make you, that will allow you to falsify uh, your hypothesis and just, you know, getting, uh, getting uh, or going the, the right direction faster, let's say. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and it's important to get comfortable with that fact, right? Like that most mm. of your assumptions will be wrong. I think we, nobody wants to admit that that's true, but developing some comfort around that actually probably makes us all smarter. But it is okay. So from the moment you accept that you will be wrong, it is okay because yeah. the worst thing you can do is, you know, think that you're right and actually be wrong and say, and invest and, and invest while being wrong. That's, that's some of the worst things that you can do. So you need to know and you need to totally that. acceptance is the first step. <laughs> yes. So when it comes to audience engagement, um, how do you define that term? Well, I, of course, I don't claim to have the right definition of the term, and there's many ways to, to define or lots of definitions of audience engagement. In the field of television and in the field of audio, which is where, where we actually move, um, you know, the, the, the most basic form, let's call it, of audience engagement is actually audience ratings. So just knowing how many people actually have turned on the television to go watch a piece of content that's one form of, of audience engagement, of course, you know, with the advent of digital, um, the concept sort of was taken. Um, and, and so right now, when you actually talk about engagement, you're talking about, for instance, the number of people who are, you know, liking, sharing, commenting a piece of content, you know, in the, in the world of influencers, you look at, you know, how much, not only how many people, what's the reach of a given influencer, but you also look at, hey, when this guy publishes or when the this girl publishes, hey, how many people actually have been exposed to it, have commented, have liked it, have shared it. And that's that's the way uh, the industry sort of talks about. And I, I would say the first uh, or what comes to mind when you're thinking of engagement. Going back to our field, uh, television and, and, and audio, um, what we call, you know, advanced audience ratings or advanced ways of doing audience ratings, you can go one step beyond who's actually just being exposed to television, who's just tuning in. And you can, for instance, today understand, hey, I know not only how many people are watching it, I can actually know who is watching it. Um, but, you know, through, you know, brilliant work from brilliant companies, for instance, I can know who is looking at the television. I can understand whether someone is distracted or not. So I can understand whether uh, someone is, you know, not connected with, with the content or whenever an ad is on, this person is actually in front of the television, but, but he's not looking at the ad. Uh, we like to think that we sort of, in our definition goes a little bit one step beyond that, which is we actually 
understand how people are reacting. So how involved, and that's what we call engagement, you know, how, how involved people are with the content that they're actually looking at. And that, that's really important. So we, we, have, we have sort of figured out a way, and that's our definition of engagement, of understanding using neuroscience, psychophysiology, of understanding who and how much people are actually reacting on a second-by-second -second basis to whatever they're watching on television and doing that in an agile way, actually doing that in real time. Uh, and so having this, this instant feedback loop into how the different audiences are reacting to whatever they're watching on television live. Um, and, that's a, and that's a really, really nice measure of actually understanding how involved people are, how impactful uh, what they're watching is. And we've chosen to, to call that engagement um, because you know, we think that it's actually the better term, the term the better best encapsulates what we're what we're measuring and this is like i mean as you're describing it it's quite complex like from it seems to me like just the way that people engage with this kind of content has changed so significantly over the years as you were describing like how many people turned on the tv like now there's you don't actually have to turn on a tv to engage with this kind of content so there's multiple ways you can engage there's you know, there's network television, there's streaming services, there's, you know, actual ability to engage with it. And then combined with the advances in technology on the measurement side, where you can actually see how people, I mean, how does that complexity, uh, I guess, how do people take that complexity and turn it into those, you know, decisions that to actually iterate and make those changes when, you know, it's not as simple as it was even 10 years ago. Well, I, I would I would discuss that it was never simple. So even if you have one stream, even if you have one stream of information, even if you have, if you're just using audience ratings to say do uh, production optimization, and so I, I, I want to I want to have you know second by second men by minute feedback, and I want to understand what is working, whether people are getting bored or they're not getting bored, and I want to do and, and I want to do something about it. So it, it's not easy. It's not easy to to actually get in, get this type of information and then try to get insights into, hey, I could change the program this way or that way. And that, and hence I will have, I'll have more audiences or people will churn less. It has never been easy. So uh, there's, there's some experiments uh, uh, in countries where you have like real-time audience ratings and, and producers are just reacting in real time to the audience ratings and so they're trying to optimize the program in real time to make sure that hey we're losing people so we need to do something fast we need to to change the programming so 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 people don't churn that much uh, what you have now is well you have different streams of information and so and so you can actually have um, information that basically today tells you why people are, are churning. So one of the things is, hey, I, I know that people are churning. Today you can know why and you can test why and you can test your assumptions on, on for instance, someone is churning if you're watching you know, a given show and you, you start to understand, well, people get bored and people get bored every time this appears or people get super uh, involved with the show every time this happens. So now this is allowing you to Using data, test your assumptions and understand exactly what is working, exactly what is not working, and, and again, failing because it's again, it's around testing your assumptions and testing your gut feelings. So there's there's lots of stories that we have, for instance, from you know some of our clients who who use data such as you know how people are engaging with comment on a second by second basis to hey, I want to justify that I need a 
helicopter. I need to do a camera. I need to do a helicopter shot during a race. I need to justify this. So I need data to show that whenever I use a helicopter shot, people get super involved with the content. So this really works. This is really impactful. And so, and so this is just another, another layer of data. I would say that the art, of course, it is hard to get the data, but the art is actually acting upon it. So, so, so the art is, 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 okay, so how do I get this data? How do I chop it? How do I transform it into different elements? And what's my taxonomy of understanding exactly what is happening? How do I, how do I break down my production, for instance, into different elements? And I have a standardized approach to understand what is working, meaning what is engaging people and what is not working, what is actually distracting people, making them churn, making them lose interest, making them be indifferent to content. Um, and so, yeah, I would say that, that, that the art is, is in actually getting those, those streams of information and ma making them uh, actionable, let's call it. Mm, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Interesting to hear about the, you know, understanding the why, not just that people yeah. are churning, but like at what point, what's happening, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah. And so why does, I mean, why does this matter? Why does it matter to the media companies that are creating the content? Why does it matter for brands that are advertising or, you know, I mean, even platforms well, where there aren't, isn't advertising? Like, why does this all matter? Yeah, well, as, as you pointed out, so, so today's, uh, the way people actually today consume media and how they, how they engage has been, you know, has been completely fragmented. And so there's just so many things that I can watch. There's just so many, just so much choice that I have that, that I'm, you know, it, it is really, really, really hard to get someone's attention. It's really, really, really hard to get someone's mental availability to actually watch something in detriment of something else. So, so today we have, we have been seeing, um, on one hand, you know, this, uh, publishers and producers wanting to understand how can they actually create content that is, let's call it more sticky. And so that is actually able to have people super involved with it. So minimizing the possibility that people will churn. And so, and the way you do that is, Again, you understand why people are tuning in and you understand which audiences are actually tuning into it. So it may be that I'm, that I'm, uh, my product and what I mean, the product, my content is actually perfect for one given audience, but it's super boring to another audience. Uh, it can be a really, really technical product. And so fans will be super engaged with it. People who are not fans just won't understand and they will be absolutely indifferent to it. And so what producers and publishers want to know is, okay, so how can I actually create a product that hits this, uh, this specific audience and makes people excited, makes people engaged with the content, makes people want to see it until the end. So, so this, is what, this is why it's important for the producers. This is why it's important for the publishers. On the other hand, the brands, they actually want to be associated with content that is emotional. They want to be associated with content where people are involved with it. They want to be associated with moments when people are excited. Um, and, and, and it's not, not, not enough today. So it's not enough just to be seen by a lot of people because as people before us have been rightly pointing, you can, you can be exposed to many, many people, you can have many, many impressions, 
but people won't process it. If people, again, if people are not looking at the television, they won't see the ad. They can be listening to it, of course, but you know, they won't look at it. Uh, if people are not reacting to the ad, then it's an, an impression that is not producing the psychological effect that we want the impression to produce. Uh, and so it is very, very important to be associated and to be, for instance, in advertising, to be in those parts which are associated with really, really engaging content. So even if I'm not seen by uh, that many people, if, if, even if, if, my, if my program is in the mid-tier uh, mid in terms of audience ratings, if, I, if my target audiences are really, really engaged with the program, then each impression that I will have on it will count more. And so I want to be associated with that with that type of content. And so that's why we have been seeing, uh, we, we have been seeing the interest in, you know, understanding what's called, you know, the attention economy, you know, understanding not only how many people are watching, but also what's the quality of the engagement between the content and the people and how that transfers to, uh, to publicity. So understanding what are those white spaces? Where do I want my, my creative to run? How can I target my audience more effectively? And that means being associated with really, really high impactful shows or high impactful content. And even within the show, you know, even within a, even within a football match, I want to be close to the goal. I want my logo to be close to goals, to goal moments, to really high engaging moments, because, because that's when the impression will produce an impact. So, so yeah. Yeah. It's so, I'm sort of laughing, like thinking back on, you know, you know, just how marketing changes as like platforms change and, you know, things like that, how we evolve as humans and interact with content differently, but some things just stay the same. Right. And yeah. I'm thinking back to like many moons ago when I was in college and taking marketing courses and learning about how advertisers would place their ads on certain networks because of that's where their audience was like, you know, men's you know, products might be advertised more frequently on ESPN versus, you know, women's products on, a, a you know, a whatever, a, a home network or a Bravo or something like that. And so there's so many more choices and so much more um, competition for attention, like you were talking about, but that principle is still the same. Like, it's so important to understand what's going to engage that audience and what's the right placement to be able to reach those people. Sure. And but but it, but in our view, it's actually going beyond the audience who typically tunes into it, because again, you may tune into it by habit. You may tune into it. What we need to understand is actually what's the quality of the involvement between the audience and the programming, the audience and you know the part that is inserted within the programming, because what we will want to see is. Uh, or, for instance, media agencies, what media agencies will want to see because they want to deliver return to their clients. What they will want to see is media spaces that may eventually not have that high audience ratings, but where the quality of the engagement is really, really high. And so people are reacting, are producing lots of emotional responses, and I can give you some examples on that, are producing lots of emotional responses, are producing lots of really high emotional responses, are producing emotional responses right in the right moments or exactly in the right moments, just before the pods, exactly in the moments where I want to introduce a, a, an advertiser. And so I want to understand the emotional morphology, let's call it off the content, how people are reacting emotionally to it on a second by second basis. So I can understand on one hand where I should be placing and on the other hand, how I should be activating my commercial integrations. Mm. So you just said, I'll, I can give you some examples. I'm gonna take you up on that. Can you share an example? Yeah. Yes, sure. Um, so the way we the way we package um, 
engagement? Well, we, we have one, one of our main, let's call it deliverables, is something that we call an EIS, so an emotional impact score. Uh, an emotional impact score is just a measure of, you know, how much, how much engagement, how much emotion do we see in a given event? So let's think of a, uh, let's think of a, uh, of a competition like American Song Contest or America's Got Talent. So what you will have is different, different competitors. Uh, there is the judge. So, so they're in front. And what we deliver, for instance, in one show, like one, one of those shows, is we can actually quantify what was the EIS of each, uh, each contestant. So we know, hey, this was a really, really emotional, um, a really, really emotional um, piece of content. This was, eh, this was not so good. Just before the pod, the EIS just before the pod was incredibly high. So if we see an EIS incredibly high before, before a, a commercial uh, break, we know that every ad within that commercial break will tend to score higher, independently of the creative. There will be what we call a carryover effect from the content to the pod. And so EIS is a measure of, you know, how impactful, how emotionally impactful uh, each second of the broadcast is and each of the events in the broadcast is. There's other types of, of deliverables. For instance, uh, some of the things that we do for, for sports is tiering emotional responses. So quantifying the number of extremely high emotional responses. So think again of a football match. Football matches are usually for most people super boring experiences if you're not technical if you're not a super fan but let's call it if you're the average viewer boring experiences intermediated with really really high emotional moments so we don't see as high emotional moments in any sport or any content actually as in for instance world cups so if you're if you're a fan of a given team so if you're if you're English and you're watching England um, uh, playing, well, what will happen is that you'll have you'll have a mild emotional experience. You'll be very very excited before the match. You'll have a mild emotional experience, or, or actually a low emotional experience, mild emotional experience during the match. And then there will be moments which are goals from England, which will be off the charts in terms of uh, in terms of emotional impact. So so what we do in that case is, for instance, we count the number for sports clients, we count the number of tier one emotional moments, tier two emotional moments, tier three emotional moments, which are moments where emotion is really, really, really high, it's average, it's high, and so we just count those moments and then we tell them where those moments are. Again, for advertising purposes, for instance, I, I can tell you, hey, I can expect this number of really, really high emotional moments where you can actually, for instance, activate let's say logos in real time. So, so that's a, that's a type of deliverable um, that we produce. And that's, and that's sort of how we package uh, engagement uh, to deliver to clients. That's really interesting. Now, do you factor in like the different types of emotion or is it really just about intensity? Yeah. So there's a conceptual discussion around and, I don't want to bore you with the, with the conceptual bits, but, but you know, there's a conceptual discussion about, on one hand, what an emotion is. And, you know, the, the, the saying goes that everyone knows what an emotion is until they're asked to, to define it. Um, and the way we, we look at emotion is we use what's called bidimensional 
emotion models, which basically tells us that emotion, emotion is basically two things. On one hand, it's arousal, whether I am excited or not. And on the other hand, it's valence, whether this thing that excites me or not is positive or negative, whether it warrants approach or it warrants, warrants avoidance. Um, this is one type of, well, let's say academically, one type of emotional models. Then there's other emotional models like the basic emotions models, happiness, disgust, fear, sadness, surprise. Um, that's another type of models. And psychophysiological metrics, biometrics are not good at discriminating basic emotions. Some people even say that it's not, it's not possible uh, at the physiological level to discriminate this basic emotions. And so we move on, we just characterize arousal. And in the end, if we're measuring emotion to media, that's what we want to know. What I want to know is whether someone is excited, is engaged with what they're watching, or if they're super bored and so they're not engaged with what they're watching. So one, one axis actually is enough for me. I don't even want to know if I'm measuring emotion, I don't even want to know whether that's positive or negative. I know that if you're watching, if you're watching, you know, a football match and if my country is playing against your country, if my country scores, we will both have high emotion. I will have positive high emotion. You will have negative high emotion. We both will have high emotion and that's what's, and that's what's important. So we are both very, very engaged with what we're seeing. And so that's the quality that we want to get. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. I think, you know, there are some programs that are designed to evoke negative emotions like yes. fear, like disgust, like, and that's actually what I'm signing up for, right? Like when you're watching. If you're super like, fearful, sure. Yeah. If you're super fearful, you're super engaged. If you're super disgust, you're super engaged. Right. right. I might not want to be fearful when I'm watching America's Got Talent, but if I'm watching a horror movie, that's kind of what you're in for, right? <laughs> but, but even if you're watching uh, America's Got Talent and you're super fearful, you're engaged. So. Totally, totally. Maybe you're just connecting with the with the people. That makes a lot of sense. And it really does actually simplify something that has the risk of being quite complex. Correct, correct. So so, so it is, again, going back to being agile, it's, it is simplicity. So, so if you can offer a, sim a simple metric, which is hard to get, but, but then it becomes easy to, easy to actually make actionable. So if you're easy to, and that's why we're one dimensional. So if you're easy to deliver that one metric that is really, really easy to understand and it's really, really easy to act upon, then actually you, you will increase the probability that people are actually acting upon that metric. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um, now, I think a lot of what we're talking about is really sort of like behavioral, like passive measurement. Um, yeah. How much of, you know, the kind of the science of thinking about audience engagement is about that behavioral and passive measurement? And when does it make sense to actually talk to the audience? Yeah, well, I would say that it always makes sense to talk with the audience especially if you are on the creative side, especially if you're on the production side. Um, so a lot of times when, when you're building a model and you're, you're trying to understand how much people are reacting to a given event, a given show, a given camera angle, let's be as granular as that. I want to understand how people are reacting to a given camera angle. I'm a sports racing companies. Some of our, our, of our best clients are sports racing companies. I want to understand during a race, I want to understand how people are reacting to this camera angle, to that camera angle. So it is always important to understand if you see a very, very high response, it's always important to understand 
exactly why people are responding. So sometimes you will want to collect things that have been classical in media research. You'll want to collect dial, just people telling us, well, I really like what I'm watching now. I don't like what I'm watching now. And that will give you another level of insight. It will give you an explicit conscious level of insight that it's important if you want to optimize the content. Because, okay, you know, now you're seeing that people are super engaged, but you're seeing that people are super engaged because they're having a negative experience and the, from the production side, you don't want that. So from the production side, you actually want the show to be enjoyable if that's what you want. Again, if you're doing a horror movie, maybe you'll want people to tell me, well, I'm not enjoying this or I'm fearful or whatnot. So you will want to, to qualify it. So it's always important. It's always important to have these feedback loops. It's always important to understand, hey, if I'm a producer, I want to understand you know, what is actually making people tick, what's actually making people respond to the content, what's making people bored, but then go out and understand why. So, so some of our best clients and some of our best use cases in production actually do both things. So, so they complement they complement the data. They, they, we would use, you know, passive measurement with our tech, dial, which we also, we also provide, but then they, they will just close the loop. They can, you know, do interviews, you know, run a focus group, in uh, an online focus group, get these people, understand which are the shots where people are engaged versus not engaged, go understand why. And so, you know, metrics, you know, and, and research methods, they complement themselves. So, uh, so yeah, I, I would say mostly in the production side, it's really, really important. In the creative side, it's really, really important to talk to people. Yeah, for sure. Um, curious, like, how do you um, how do you find the people? Are, are people like opting in for this type of measurement, or is it sort of like you know across the board through the networks? Like, how does that work? So, so we build panels. So, so basically, yeah. we we run panels of people, which we which we recruit. So, think of you know regular audience panels, and and so mm -hmm. we which these people are equipped with uh, with uh, with our sensors, and basically they get invited to watch television, and so it's uh, they can either just go watch television, and we we detect what they're watching. So we use we use technologies such as audio content recognition, and we detect what they're watching, and we get their emotional reactions, uh, or we actually invite them to hey, you know, today there's something happened on this channel. Go watch this on this channel or that channel. Go watch this race. Go watch, and people will just tune in. They will glue their sensors to their hands, um, and we'll get their metrics. And so and we can do this, you know, in real time. That is so fascinating. Um, I, I have so many more questions. Oh my gosh. Um, this is really interesting. So uh, I guess in all of the kind of research that you guys have been doing, like, have you seen an increase or a decrease in audience engagement over recent years? I mean, especially thinking about like, you know, during COVID times when people were stuck in their homes and people were watching movies in home and now people are going back to theaters. Like, what have you seen in terms of engagement, like just on the whole? Well, it, it's, it's a bit hard to give you a sort of, you know, we see it increasing or we see it decreasing. We see it, you know, we see different sorts of behavior across different audience segments. Uh, we know that different audience segments, on one hand, engage with certain types of content and not with others. They engage with certain types of content, which sometimes they were not expected to. So, for instance, we found really, really high audience engagement responses um, during the World Cup, the soccer as you would call it, the Soccer World Cup, uh, the Men's World Cup in the U.S., which is something that, and, and now we understand, hey, you know, the U.S. is starting to is starting to look at, at soccer. They're starting to understand the, the game. You know, this last time I was in New York uh, last year, I saw, you know, I saw bars with soccer 
And this was, was something that I had never seen. And then when we actually look at the, the reactions of U.S. audiences to soccer, we see that they're actually quite high. You know, they're not as high as in Portugal, but they're quite high. When you actually look at, hey, how are Hispanics actually reacting to soccer in the U.S.? Again, they're off the charts. They're on, they're on par, of course, with, with, with Portugal, traditional you know, football countries, uh, and, and England. And so, and, and so it's, it is different. And, and, and how people are reacting to the different type of content depends on you know, how pre-exposed they are to it, uh, depends on you know, culturally whether they are, you know, they sort of, this is part of their upbringing or not. Um, now, one of the things that we monitored, and it's nice they, they talk about COVID, uh, because one of the things that we understood is that actually the situation makes people tune in to different types of, of information. Um, for instance, one of the things that, that we did during COVID was uh, we were monitoring um, news. And so basically during COVID, we started monitoring news because we were very, very interested around you know, communication and communication around COVID and communication around health. And one of the things that we saw is, and, and this is, and this is sort of interesting is we saw we saw a response we saw people getting week over week as the increases in covid cases were actually growing we were seeing people week over week getting more and more engaged with news and so getting more and more and of course if you remember that you know news were covid and so it was like daily covid counts and and all these things and so as as the as the pandemic was expanding we were seeing Every every week, we were seeing just people getting more and more and more aroused when they were watching the news. And then, when the situation started to get better, when things during the first wave, when things started to sort of, you know, hey, this is controlled. Of course, then we know what happened. But hey, this is controlled. We started people. We started seeing people relaxing, and so this was really, really nice for us in terms of, hey, well, there is actually a relation between, you know, the perception, the public perception of let's call it danger and how people are actually reacting emotionally to the news and, and the two, you know, the two functions almost overlap. That was, um, that was very, very curious. And so again, it will depend on what you're predisposed to watch. It depends on the, on the environment. So there's, let's say not a simple answer for that, I would say. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense though, right? Different, different segments yeah. and different types of content. I, I think it's, you know, I'm curious about the, just the, the, the sheer amount of content that exists, like mm -hmm. makes it, I, I mean, just from my own personal experience and a sample of one, like I'm probably less engaged in all of content because I'm doing more than one thing at once, right? Where I'm watching a show I've watched before and I'm scrolling through TikTok at the same time, like neither one of those things are uh, like yeah. engaging enough for me to pay like solo attention to. Um, and I think there's just so many, there's so much content. Yeah. But then there's one thing that you really want to see. Right. Mm -hmm. And there's this match that you really, really want to see. And there's this competition that you're really, really looking forward to. Um, mm -hmm. Again, it's, it, it's the world cup. It, it, the world cup phenomena was, uh, was because, because, you know, people will see, everything at least you know at least in europe again we started to see this uh, this behavior in the us but you know people will see our super bowl you know people will see everything but there's just tentpole events there's just things that happen which people will tune into and they will display a lot of emotion into and mm -hmm. and, and so you know there's this one thing there's you know there's you know if you're a game of thrones fans there's there's house of the dragon and you will go watch it and i assure you that you'll produce off the chart emotional responses to it because mm -hmm. 
you know, you're looking for it. You're, you're looking yeah. forward to it. Absolutely. Um, well, this has been really interesting. Um, thank you so much for coming on to the show. This has been a great, a great conversation. I, I'd love to see how our viewers of Real Talk are going to respond to our helicopter shots. So maybe we'll do that in Q2. We're, we've actually got a panel being monitored right now. Um, no, we don't. I wish I, had, I wish I had thought of that. I wish I had thought next of that. Time, okay. Next yeah. time. Next <laughs> time. Well, thank you again so much. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you, Jen. Thanks, everyone, for listening in. We're going to be back next week with another episode. I'm going to talk with uh, Vox Pop Me's founder and CTO, Andy Barraclough, and we'll review what insights professionals talked about in the last year. See you then.